0: scuba obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear the places is dive and scuba news scuba obsessed episode 494 is recorded live may 13th 2021 welcome back to scuba obsessed i'm darren jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of michigan we're joining me this week. We have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
1: Well, I'm doing very well. Enjoying the blue skies and pretty nice weather.
0: Yeah, this is beautiful weather. This is what I I would expect for May. We had a little bit of time where it was not the best. You know, we had a little bit of a cold streak going on and it seemed like it almost went for a full week and now we're <laughs> back to it uh. not, not not being so bad. I'd like to thank everybody who joined us in the chat room. We have a chat room on discord and I will try to with my nine eyes, keep an eye on it. Uh, now that we've started streaming to YouTube, uh, not really paying attention to the audio stream in there. In fact, the audio, the only way you're hearing it while we record is going to be on YouTube. I'd like to thank everybody with that word. This is fourth week, week number four, holding up my, my four fingers in front of the camera. This is the fourth week of streaming hopefully we get a little bit better uh apologize if you had noticed that even in the podcast we had a little bit of clipping on our audio and that was a noise gate i had a little aggressively so i think i've tuned that down so this is just going to be a little bit of a learning process but uh thank you everybody who's sticking with us as we go through this process hopefully it will pay out in the end there will be a much better more interesting product So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. So the first article that we have up, as I change my camera angle, is a lawsuit filed in Glacier NP scuba diving death, uh, Missoula, so I'm assuming that's Montana, family of a teenager who died during an advanced scuba diving class at Glacier National Park. Last fall, filed a multi million dollar civil suit against the owners of the dive shop, the instructor and professional diving association that oversees the sport. On November 1st, 2020, 18 year old Luana Mill signed up for advanced diving class with uh, Gull Diving in Missoula. The class took place on McDonald Lake. $12 million suit alleges negligence, wrongful death, and inflicted emotional distress. Uh, The lawsuit alleges uh, Linnea. Was diving with a dry suit when she had not when she had not had the proper instructions beforehand and was not trained to use it. Linnea was also wearing a dry suit that lacked a functional inflator and had inequ- inadequate supervision during the advanced open water scuba diving training course. Court papers claim Gall dive had a duty to assess whether Linnea was competent and sufficiently trained, certified, and skilled to use a dry suit. The suit alleges Linnea was unable to add air to the inside of her dry suit due to inoperable inflator and was crushed by the pressure of the water and she died. The plaintiffs say despite Linnea being in obvious distress underwater no instructor came to help her. A hundred and twelve page lawsuit also filed the name of a fellow diver who tried to save Linnea at that afternoon and who has the event recorded on a GoPro video camera. He was using at the time of the class. Attorney Dave Concannon, also named Professional Association of Diving Instructors for having ambiguous rules regarding instructor qualifications. The suit also alleges the company did not have a permit to dive at Glacier National Park that day. This is the second recent civil suit against Gull Dive. They were also named in a lawsuit over the death of another diver at uh, Canyon Ferry Reserve by renting diving equipment to someone who was not certified Use it. The National Park Service is also investigating uh, her death. MTN News reached out multiple times. The Gall Dive Defense Attorney for comment has not received a response. And this was uh, recorded by KPAC. Uh must be a TV station in Missoula and Western Montana. And but before we get into it, just you know, it's a tragedy any any time uh, someone passes, no matter what the circumstances. And of course we don't have all the information, but we're going to comment, uh, on the information that we do have available. So the first thing about a lawsuit is there's always a lawsuit. Somebody dies nine times out of 10. Uh, if somebody thinks that somebody can be blamed for it, there's going to be a lawsuit. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be or should be, but this that's kind of how it works. Um, So one of the premises here is that they're talking about that she was giving a defective dry suit. So that begs the question of why would that have not been caught on the surface? And we're not talking about, you know, there's a leak and that you you only discovered it once you're in the water. They're making it sound like it lacked a functional inflator.
1: Sounds like she had not worn one before.
0: Right. So this is an advanced open water dive. So you don't do an advanced open water dive until you've passed your basic certification. So you've already gone through your basic certification. And part of this is a training class. And one of the, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mac, if you know, I believe for advanced open water, you learn some more advanced skills. Plus you have to pick a couple specialties which you're going to get trained on. And it can be underwater navigation, it can be night diving, and I be- believe dry suit was one of them that you could do. So, is dry suit option?
1: Well, okay. it's one of those items. One, you don't have to have dry suit training from an instructor to use one or buy one. Highly recommended, I will suggest. Right, but not required. Yeah, because because back in the day when we first started using them. You got your training from the guy you got the suit from. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And that's yeah. just that's where it was.
0: Yeah, there
1: there like you said the key item we always talk about. Do you have air? Did you check the BC inflator? Which she should have had on also. And did she check the inflate and default in your exhaust valve on your train yep. suit? Yep. So I I'm, I'm just curious how the gone... BC. She she had to have a BC. Why was that not inflated to bring her to the surface and get her out of the water?
0: Right. Um, So what I've done is I've jumped onto the PADI uh, website, and I'm just looking. So Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things for advanced open water is you do have to have some additional equipment that you don't require in in regular open water. So uh, a compass is required, a dive knife, or some sort of dive tool specialized gear depending on the adventure dives you choose for example you'd obviously use a dry suit for dry suit adventure dive so what that's telling me is that that dry suit is an option for advanced open water training so they're making it sound like she didn't have training um, and and uh, you know of course we don't know all the details behind it but it is possible that that dry suit could have been one of the trainings she was getting as part of her advanced open water.
2: And, and as
1: you said, just,
0: you, you know, you've got your BC can be an inflator. Uh,
1: no, that's that's in. The BC is what you use to mm-hmm. provide the buoyancy, not the dry suit inflator.
0: Right. And that's, I know that's gone back and forth on training. I'm of the mindset and I'm not an instructor that you use the least amount of air in your dry suit and you control buoyancy with your BC. I believe Absolutely. there are some courses that do teach using the dry suit as a BC as your for your buoyancy and not the I
1: I I'd be curious where that is cuz I don't understand why you would do that.
0: Yeah. And and I can find out
1: yeah, when you uh, have a BC.
0: Yeah, Derek in the chat room says, uh, if you can be crushed by the water pressure, then wetsuit divers would die. That was something I noticed uh, before the show. <laughs> I was thinking, uh, and and I, I'm not going to blame that. I'm going to say that's probably the uh, the attorney or uh, the newspaper misinterpreting it uh, because th- that's that's one you're not going to want to go the case on saying you're going to get crushed. Now, you can get a squeeze. I mean, we've experienced squeeze. we've experienced squeeze. And if you're not prepared for it and you're liable to panic, which somebody, you know, the, do they say how many dives she has?
1: No, it does not. No. I mean, 112-page lawsuit, there's a lot of stuff in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, and it was filed in the name of the fellow diver. So... I'm guessing that means that he is not a defendant. He's also considered a victim, you know, traumatized by trying to help this young woman. Uh, and then he, he's he got the video. I'm guessing that part of this, they feel that the video is going to help them prove their case. Otherwise that video would have disappeared.
1: <laughs> yeah. I would, I'd like to know the details of what happened and what really she she passed away from
2: Mm -hmm.
1: i mean suit squeeze is uncomfortable especially for a guy if it's in the wrong place but you're not going to die from it it's going to hurt you yeah
0: and and, again
1: the bc should have got her up to the surface which would have relieved the pressure from the dry suit
0: and the advanced open water training is a little i mean it's advanced it's it's going to be a little bit uh Less controlled environments, you're going to do some uh, additional skills depending on what you chose. A lot of uh, dive shops recommend that you do open water and then immediately turn around and do advanced just because they feel that the regular open water doesn't fully give you the skills of many of the situations that you could, you could be in. Yeah, and, it, and you have that additional time with an instructor to help you in your training.
1: I think the biggest item though that most people get the advances it's supposed to give you the uh I can go deeper now. Um I mean it could No it is. What? Well, well <laughs> I basic scuba is not the same as advanced otherwise you wouldn't have it. Yeah. If you got on a dive charter, they want to see that with the advanced, especially if you're going on a deep wreck.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, because they're, they're thinking that you've had additional time, but you could take advanced. In fact, I finished my advanced open water and had never been deeper than 40 feet. So while you, it does allow you to, you know, a dive charter may look at that and say, Oh, you can go to the bottom of recreational limits. Uh, you really need a little bit more more training. I'm trying to remember if we even did deep because deep might have only been fifty or sixty feet. Uh, we, I think. Big item
1: though is yeah. if you're in clear water,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that deep part makes a big difference psychologically. And our area, yeah. forty foot in black water, and black water in one hundred and twenty feet that was clear until you got down to the bottom. Yeah, it, it's it's
2: really relative. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the the uh you know, when when water's warm, when it's clear, uh daylight, you know, those are all things that uh can help somebody feel a little bit more comfortable.
1: And in control.
0: This is this is in Montana, so I'm guessing that the water was probably a little <laughs> chilly, hence the dry suit. So, yeah, you know, obviously we don't have enough information. Right. Maybe we'll find more on it. We'll keep an eye out for this to see what comes from it, but I bet there'll be some more before this is done. This was, uh, this article was published May 11th, 2021.
1: Yeah, it's fresh.
0: Fresh and new.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious to see what the hell the 100 pages of documents says. I mean, without that, we're just guessing by gosh.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, back to our favorite almost shipwreck or shipwreck to almost not be a <laughs> shipwreck. That's being, uh, disappearing day by day. Yeah. Uh, yes. the golden rays engine section leaves the aisles. This is the Brunswick news, which has done an extensive amount of reporting. I think they've done a good job and we've covered and linked to them many times over the course of the, it seems like decades now, but it's, it's only been a couple of years. Uh, it says undertow the barge, Four five five seven. The shipwreck Golden Ray's severed engine section headed out of the Saint simmons Sounds around 10:30 on Saturday. After passing a U.S. Coast Guard inspection for ocean transit, the 6,300-ton chunk of steel, known as Section Seven to Salvers, en route to modern American Recycling Service facility in Gibson, Louisiana, standing on its port side at 135 feet tall. From The barge deck to the sky, section seven follows the path that three previous sections removed from the shipwreck the bow, section one, the stern, section eight, and section two at the fore. By far the most trying of the four circuits in the Golden Ray, section seven salvage efforts began in Ergus. Ergus. Erg- Erg- yeah, those Ergus. Uh, Ernest on January 27 were not completed until April 24th. In between, solvers employed a strategic retreat from cutting efforts on section seven. The focus on cutting section two, uh, 255 foot tall, VB 10,000, the cutting chain powered, the complete section cut in eight days. And then they go on and give some more details about the sections, which we've covered. If you listen back to some of the uh, previous episodes, you can hear us talking about it. But uh, uh, slowly but surely, and uh, it's just impressive. You know, this is a monster machine that is cutting and grinding
2: uh, that up. Just unbelievable.
1: They said 300 feet of the half-submerged ship remains in the Sound.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're they're past halfway. I think uh, last week we said, are they halfway yet? And it does appear that they are.
1: Why'd they uh, decide to get the engine part done first, or to get that out
0: I'm trying to remember back. I, I can remember. Was it uh, part of it was pinching, and then they replaced the cable, and then I think it had to, there was uh, something to do with the barges, the barge availabilities. But I have promptly forgotten those, that level of detail.
1: Yeah. That's a massive chunk of uh, steel there.
0: Yep. A, b- a big piece. So, and then another follow-up just from last week, we've covered this in the last three episodes, but the artificial reef for Lake Champlain proposal reversed after pushback from environmental groups, a plan to create a newsly designation for scuba divers in Lake Champlain has been reversed after pushback from environmental groups in the public. The Lake Champlain transportation company in the Vermont division for historic preservation plan to sink the Andorondack historic double ended ferry The concept, known as an artificial reef, was created in the Atlantic off the coast of Delaware, New Jersey, by sinking old Coast Guard vessel. Instead of being set underwater to create an artificial reef for scuba divers, the vessel will now be scrapped. The Adirondack is no longer needed since there are others in Lake Champlain Ferry's fleet. The decision came after Lake Champlain Committee and the Vermont Natural Resource Council appealed the state permit to sink the ferry. Uh, Lake Champlain is a critical diving uh, resource. Considered a public uh, state, obtained the NECN, called the project consistent with the public trust doctrine, and laid out a series of expectations. Those included exhaustive cleanup of any oil or other potential pollutants on board. Uh, John Groveman, Policy and Water Program Director Fee for VNRC said the issue doesn't end here since the permit was granted on the grounds that sinking the ferry was in the interest of public good. For something to be in public good, it needs to serve the broader Vermont community. We need to examine the statutes to play determine how something like this could have been permitted in the first place. Wow. Who is this Groveman? What Doesn't that just ring of, I'm a politician, and I think I've got this <laughs> case that everybody's going to back me up i really don't have an opinion on my own but
1: i'd be curious about the public opinion was that verbal written writing and uh i'd like to see some more documentation for yeah. why they decided to do it and then yeah. why they turned it down because
0: what this what this came from is everybody involved just decided they didn't want the heat and they're like okay we're done but I would like to know how much money did they spend to prepare this wreck for it now to be scrapped. So it seems like they have a little bit. So I, yeah, I, I bet this is going to be in the news again. But as far as sinking it, I think nobody's going to do. And then they said in the meantime, the legislature is considering a three-year moratorium on the sinking of any vessels in Lake Champlain. Uh, and I think I have another article. Um, uh, where there's other vessels in the lake, obviously. I mean, many of these lakes have it. Yeah, the ferry company had planned to sink the vessel after it was thoroughly cleaned of oil, grease, and other potential pollutants would have become part. Yeah, but it, it just became too hot of a topic. And and the thing is, there's nobody making money on it. You know, there are a lot of people will say that it's the, you know, the company doesn't want to have to scrap it, so it saves them money And while well, it may. I don't think that's the primary driver because, you know, when, when was the last time somebody in Lake Michigan actually sunk a shipwreck and we specifically allow it?
1: I don't think we ever have.
0: <laughs> well, there there have been some, well, you're talking about under the permit program. Yeah. Under the preserve. But there have been some uh, wrecks legally sunk before we had the preserve system uh, up there at the straits. And I believe that was in the early eighties.
1: Well, I know we've had hundreds of abandoned ships. Right. Scuttle along the shoreline that went to hell in a handbasket. That was the standard way of getting rid of stuff.
0: Yep.
2: Yep. So that one's done.
0: So we, 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 we can't put a shipwreck down for divers to dive on. Uh, But here you go. It's not pretty, but it's important. Residents rally to save a piece of a a sunken vessel. So it's perspective. It's what you value and what you care about. So here, a boiler from a schooner that went down off Drumhead NS. Where's NS? Uh, Has just sat offshore for a century. Uh, The rusting hunk of metal been part of scenery. The waters coast off Drum Island NS. Nova Scotia, maybe? Residents of small fishing community don't want to see it go. That's a big, rusty boiler. It's not pretty, but it's important, Rachel Langley uh, said, who can see what's left of the streamer Nova, Nova Scotia from her window. The partially submerged boiler is the only remains of a 42-meter vessel that caught fire and was hauled offshore to sink in 1921. While other coastal communities in Nova Scotia have fought hard to get rid of their derelict vessels, many, many residents in Drum Island say their boiler has become a beloved landmark everyone the community grew up with it langley told cbc radio information morning they've taken the children there they have grandchildren there they're part of our lives the whole time everybody's has been here the boiler sticks out of the water about three meters at low tide it's located a small inlet of harbor island locals will dive around the structure to see crabs clams scallops that have made their home langley said I know a young gentlemen down the road that at least five generations of his family have taken their children and taken their grandchildren, something to look forward to with their new children. She said. Langley started a Facebook group called Save the Drum Island Boiler, an online petition that's garnered about 3,000 signatures or a community of 37 populations, so I thought it was pretty good. The Drum Island Boiler is on the list of 14 abandoned vessels that the province has vowed to clean up earlier this year. To receive money from the federal government through Transport Canada's abandoned boats program, the province has said five hundred ninety-three thousand will go to remove the removal effort, which began in five. Oh,
1: is
0: that for the whole program? Is that for the boiler?
1: No, that sounds like for the whole program, oh, I'm like for fourteen vessels.
0: I'll do it for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Thank you
1: at night <laughs> at night right yeah. in a deep fog yeah. Oiler will be gone <laughs> i mean if they can cart that other engine we just saw wow it ought to be ducks to take that baby out
0: yeah spokesman for Parental crown corporation declined interview but said in a statement the 14 vessels were chosen based on complaints from the public vessels considered for removal were brought to attention of province through a complaint process by individuals with concerns but the vessels for various reasons, including safety and ethics, Chris Smith, and an email to CBC. So the, the squeaky if wheel gets the uh, wreck removed.
1: <laughs> but by the same token, if everybody in that area said keep it, then they should be able to go to the right province there and look at the complaint process and look at the uh, yeah. who suggested it should be removed. I can understand it if it's in a waterway impacting other votes, mm-hmm. for traversing it. You know, they could get fouled in it. It's in the middle of a shipping lane and you're doing downriggers and netting. But I'd be curious, looking at the, the two pictures that they showed above it, uh-huh. is that two other different wrecks that they're going to remove?
0: Like this, this one you, that I've got up on the screen now?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. one's in the sand. Yeah. That shouldn't be really too hard to move, but I don't know what the other one is. Oh, that's a sunken boat. Yeah. Doesn't look very big.
0: Yeah. And I, I would, I would agree. I mean, I'm a diver. I like to shunk, uh, the dive on shipwrecks. But these are pretty much trash in an undivable situation. So if you oh, wanted, you just could...
1: Because, just because they're trash, take a look at what we've been seeing on the beach. You got to dig in the sand oh. to look at it. At it, least it, you don't got to dig in the sand.
0: In pristine condition.
1: Yeah. It'll <laughs> almost float. Yeah,
0: it'll almost float. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, the picture on the right-hand side, if you de it, I bet that sucker would float.
0: Yeah, maybe. But I'm thinking if it was really, in, in, it wouldn't be abandoned. <laughs> or could yeah. you now, say that was uh, floatable and of value? Could you get a permit to take and salvage that?
1: More than likely.
0: So you could say it's abandoned? It,
1: sure. But you know, just looking at that, it still costs you money, so you gotta have a reason to have done it or to do it. Mm-hmm. If it's you already lost the boat, it's gonna cost you more to get it out than it is to recover it, you're gonna leave the boat alone. Yeah. A diver would look at that and say, just for the hell of it, I'm gonna bring that up. You know? Put a deep yeah. pump in there, bring up some sidewalls just for the challenge. Yeah. Now wouldn't went on the side, you'd burn that sucker. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But uh, if you know where we dive there at the the flats up in Sheboygan, yeah, that one angle that is now covered over with sand and dirt. When first dove that, and you're talking, I hate to say God, that's
0: (laughs) careful, you're going to age yourself
1: (laughs) almost 50 years ago. There were several (laughs) boats anchored or not anchored, but scuttled in that area. They burned the damn thing to the ground. Mm-hmm. and that's now full of sand so when some guy builds a house over that one year yeah they're gonna say, where did the shipwreck come from <laughs> yeah you know, where'd you come from
0: oh yeah and that's you, exactly what it looked like they're gonna be digging in the sand he'll find the shipwreck and then they'll, somebody will petition for him to stop the construction so they can ar- yep, dig it up
1: yep. <laughs> yep you can't build a house there there's a
0: that's a historic a it's pristine let's build a museum on it people who haven't listened to the podcast before just thinking we're jerks, (laughs) but you got to take it in context. And and like we've, these, these last few articles have have shown is is there's different perspectives on value and what people want. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, what about the boiler? I you know what that brings to mind, of course, don't you? What's that? Diamond Lake
0: oh yeah 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 boiler. i yep boiler. so what max referring to is in diamond lake there was a and it's a fairly small lake uh in the early in the do my math on the centuries 20th century uh that was a uh a nice resort lake that people from chicago came to and had houses and it was a chain ferry wasn't it no no there's city of green bay C- city of green bay is what it was yeah city of green bay uh, there is a chain ferry now, but at that time that was uh, a lot of your small lakes had these little steamboats on it and cause you didn't have gasoline engines. You had little steamboats and boilers had challenges and that one blew up didn't it. Was there any loss of life? Do you remember?
1: No, not on Bay? that one. Yeah.
0: No. So sometimes what will happen is they'll, the boiler will get hot, the boat will catch on fire, uh, when the boat can no longer sustain flotation, the boiler hits the water and it breaks apart different levels. And of then they dynamite it because yeah.
1: it's, they want to get it down and sunk. Yep. And then some enterprising divers take all the remnants, uh-huh. take it to a different part of the lake where it's deeper and reconstruct the, the pieces. Yep.
0: Yeah. And there's, uh, I've heard uh, legends of different beachfront property has parts of the boat and trying to get them back in the water and,
1: Uh, One of my friends from work, if you look at his property, Mm. right where he's putting his dock and pilings in, you'll see metal embedded into the ground that look amazingly like boiler grills. Yeah. Because they are. Yeah. And the boat itself is maybe a couple hundred yards away from his dock.
0: Yep. Maybe that's some ideas of some other episodes. We could just take a a shipwreck and a story and just to highlight what had happened. Maybe these are things that somebody 40 years from now will appreciate the effort to consolidate into some form. So here we go with, uh, an underwater memorial for Navy seal in Arkansas. Uh, they said with Memorial day right around the corner, Lake was that o Chitta? Near Hot Springs, well known for having one of the cleanest lakes in the country. But you know there's an underwater memorial place tribute to fallen US SEAL Adam L. Brown. Adam's a hot spring native and and former chief special warfare operator. Had a book published based on his life story called Fearless the Undaunted Courage and Ultimate Sacrifice of Navy SEAL Team Six, Operator Brown. The memorial is placed on Blakely Dam. In the lake on Hot Springs in July 27, 2013, by a group of Arkansas scuba divers, memorial is accessible both land and scuba divers. The memorial consists of a laser-etched black granite marker, the CPO Adam Brown placed on a large rock as well as another large stone that contains Adam's favorite Bible verse, the hope that the memorial will stand as a lasting tribute to Adam as well as inspiration to the diving community memorial known as fearless rock is funded by private donations from time to dime members of the fearless rock dive team place flags challenge coins and other items on the memorial and they're not kidding <laughs> there are some here's the, that photo and this is a website kkyr.com uh, that's just not a few challenge coins that is like loaded with challenge coins
1: oh. There is, if you have not read the story about that guy, it's quite a interesting uh, story about him. One of the items, you'll look it up, uh, it's called How an Attic Became a Navy Seal and a mm-hmm. Nightmare for the Taliban because he was a hellion back in the day before he, he was an attic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't and know anything about him. He went from
1: him. being an attic all the way up to being a SEAL changes life.
0: Well, I think anybody who can make a SEAL has got to be very impressive in their own right. I mean, that is, I've, I've seen several shows on that and met a few in real life. Yeah. They are definitely a special cut of person to be able to go through that training and what they're able to accomplish. And then anybody who served the country in a war-conflict status, I mean, that's amazing. Divers unravel lines, uh, mysteries of finding lost fishing gear. Then, um, So we got a photo here, and it shows a generator and some items. And uh it says, the more you fish from boats, the more likely you're to co-sign rods, reels, wristwatches, smartphones, boat anchors, entire tackle boxes to the depths, never to be seen again. And we've certainly seen that gone diving. I think some of the best ones is when you find a tackle box, you know, The lids on it, and it was all closed up. And uh, didn't we find one out there in Lake Michigan?
1: Well, actually, we found several. uh, uh, Most people, if they're smart in their tackle boxes, is they leave part of their old fishing license in it. So when we find them, we can actually find the owners, which we have done before. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were actually, I think you were out there, and uh, it's on the Muskegon. Yeah, Out of Michigan City, we found a tackle box. That's
0: right. That's where that was. Uh, for some reason, I was thinking it was near St. Joe, but yep. we did find one in the Muskegon.
1: The Muskegon. Uh, Had yeah. everything still in it? Yeah. Top shot and everything.
0: Yeah, you, me, and I think Jim Cleman. Did we also go out there Jim. with Bob?
1: Yeah. Yep. Wow. I thought Jim got it because I got two anchors that day. Uh-huh. And I thought Cleman got that, didn't he?
0: Yeah, I think he, maybe he did.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: We're, we're digging back into uh, some times. We probably even have a podcast. We talked about it. Wait, wait, probably in the, uh, double digits back way back then. So the, the image we got up on the screen and I think earlier I said I had the image up and I didn't, I'm I'm still learning this video switching. And I said, well, at least you won't be seen by you, but the treasures fall in the water fished by others. Some might resurface one day in another angler's hands. And they said, how as uh, water's warm each summer, recreational divers reclaim boatloads of lost fishing gear well combing yeah. the lake beds and river bottoms during underwater scavenger hunts sometimes we call those ecology dives in some cases divers purposely target popular fishing sites after anglers depart knowing they can be a target rich environment more people fishing a hot spot either through the ice or the open water the greater the odds someone clumsy or careless is parting with their gear and that's what i'm guessing you know that's that generator does not look like it's been down there all that long.
1: Well, no, I mean, back in the day before you, they started licensing them, uh, it's not unusual in Pawpaw, for example, we dive in after the ice is gone and we find the ice shanties. And you always like to go in them and find, oh, they still left the reels. Here's the lantern. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever had a generator for me though, but, uh, you'd find their wallets. I think the best one we found with a wallet was because it had the Playboy key <laughs> with it, including his credit card and the uh, Playboy plasticized uh-huh. invite. Nobody, the, the, as far as I know now, used it yeah. in his behalf. But uh, <laughs> you name it, we have found it. Yeah. And the largest generator, I'm looking at that one. Mm-hmm. You, do you remember the one that uh, we brought up off the uh, piers?
0: Oh, yeah. That was a huge that
1: generator. 3,000-something pound one? Yeah. If that looks new. You, know, you could probably make that one work.
0: Yeah, that uh, that's less than a year. And I'm betting, because yeah. there's like this, this bottom rail here, uh, doesn't have any silt on it.
1: Yeah, nothing.
0: And there's a little bit on the top, but that's probably just, I bet this came down early. You know, that was in a shanty, it plopped down. And then that's just from stuff stirring from it hitting the bottom. And then mm-hmm. any sediments that was on the ice as it melted. Yep. So it looks like a first-year find. And then that's Tamara uh, Thompson is the photo credit who does some amazing photos. And she's referenced here several times in this article, so we have full links in the show notes. Uh, it says, I don't yeah, do it every day, ever, but...
1: If, yep. I was going to say that if you ever went up to... Uh, the uh, shipwreck festival, the go ships, mm-hmm. you would see her, uh, there because she was a Marine archaeologist there at the Wisconsin historical society. Yeah. Yeah. You'd see her there. Yep.
0: Very active. Uh, it says, I don't do it every day, but it's something different to do for fun. Kruger said, we find fishing rods, baits, lures, anchors. If I could, I yeah. clean them up and get them working. We would sandblast or pressure wash the anchors and sell them cheap. We made just enough to get air refills for our diving tanks. And uh, there's a lot of divers who have what we call them anchor gardens. <laughs>
1: yeah. You might say I have some of those. <laughs> I yeah. think Larry has the biggest anchor though.
0: Uh, what that, that one, uh, how big is that one?
1: It's big as Larry.
0: <laughs> big as big as Larry.
1: Yeah. It's very, very heavy. It took us quite a while to get that out of the river.
0: Yeah. That, that's another story that we should, uh, yes maybe do we could uh, we could do something on that one kind of kind of the legendary finds uh
1: i have an idea where it came from though okay i'll have to show you i'll have to show you the picture right there where the bridge is we found it on the opposite side of the bridge yeah all right that used to be the parking area on that side
0: Mm -hmm.
1: for the navy training boat from chicago or ship i should say okay and the only thing I can figure is they let their anchor go and either they had it in the barge and they brought it forward so it uh catch uh-huh. and then got it snagged. Because when we got it, it was covered in clay. I mean, it was just one part of a fluke. It took us a long time to dig that out. But that's the only thing I can figure that would take a anchor that large is one of those training vessels.
0: Mm-hmm. And some, so you think somebody goofed one way or another? Yep. So did they, which only way they could have, so did the they the
1: boat could not go through there to get to where we, where we got the anchor.
0: Okay. So also it fell off a barge then. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to come up with something sharing that maybe get some photos from Larry. Uh yeah, And in other cases, divers like, uh, Tamara, uh, maritime archeologist, Wisconsin historical society have to clear the wrecks of lost fishing gear before taking the tacks to, uh, brought to the site Thompson recalls diving a schooner barge transfer relatively obscure, obscure 200 foot ship where its owner intentionally sank it in Lake Michigan off Milwaukee in 1923 Thompson said the transfer was split down the middle, both sides of the hull lying 120 feet of water, like two parallel football fields. The shipwrecks go to the untrained eye. The transfer is about as dull a wreck as you can find. Further, no one died with it and didn't disappear into a hellish November storm with 40-foot waves. Its owner, the Milwaukee Electric Railway and Light Company, simply replaced it with another vessel. Workers then recovered everything of value from the transfer, towed it six miles out, cast it adrift, rammed it three times until it sank. <laughs> now, <laughs> that's wow. Uh is, isn't that how you get two shipwrecks? <laughs> I was
1: going to say ramming is not always a good thing.
0: <laughs> so that was kind of like uh you know somebody with their with their new toy going see what I can do. Wow, rammed it. Yeah, I was going to ask when I read that earlier, is that was a uh, prescribed method for for sinking stuff. Uh, uh, when Thompson three other d- divers descended on the transfer two years ago to study it, they found it coated in fishing tackle, snagged from passing salmon trawlers. Luckily divers hadn't been down there for years because it was covered with monofilament lines, fishing lures, downrigger wires, downrigger weights the size of softballs. The entitled entitler, entitle, entire downrigger tore loose from the boat's Thompson said, we also found some electronic thing fishermen used and got it running again. He said, their four-person team worked 10 hours wrapping up line, picking up lures, packing a crate to haul everything up to their boat. We figured we had at least $500 to $600 worth of gear off the one shipwreck. It took all of our power and strength to get it into the boat. Dying rigger weights are really heavy. <laughs> That would not have been my technique. I mean, I can see putting it all together makes it easier, but you got to mm-hmm. get that in. Yeah, and you may have floated it, and then uh, and and they're they're. I'm guessing they took bits and pieces out of the crate till they got it light enough to haul on. <laughs> I mean, that's because downriggers. I know what you're talking about, and they're not exaggerating. They say softballs, uh, and when somebody loses a downrigger like that, they are ticked. Would you say that? That's over a hundred dollars for. Some of those downriggers,
1: um, they're anywhere from usually five. I think I've seen some 11, oh, at 11, 12 oh, okay. pounds of lead. Okay. So, but then again, you got some of the plasticized ones mm-hmm. that are a, a good bit more.
0: Well, and some of them have adjustments for you know adjusting it to track at different
1: depths. Well, those are clips, but. You'd, you'll find them on the line that's attached to the downrigger. We used to go out to a uh, cook plant back in the day, because they have uh, three major large structures for their intake systems. And we'd go out there in April, before the work boats got out there, and we would get dozens of downriggers, because they had protective barriers around them. So they would be running their lines out, hit that barrier, and ro- rotate which would then break the lines. Mm-hmm. And the best find I ever found was the back end of a boat that was bolted to the top deck with four reels, electric reels for downriggers. They're all, must have called simultaneous because uh-huh. they ripped that off the back of the boat. Ah, that was a very good find.
0: Well, I'm seeing, uh, that photo, uh, that we had at the beginning of the article, it says, uh, according to the book, our four lakes, the legend, sights, and secrets of Shani went down with all the gear and accessories, including an AC generator, big screen TV, Xbox, satellite (laughs) dish, power auger, rods and wheels, Vexilar fish finding unit. That is a little bit of money.
1: I'd have been out there the next day getting that stuff.
2: Wow.
1: Holy smoke. Yeah, that that would have been worth getting a diver, you know, right? Hundred bucks an hour to go down and get your gear back. come yeah. on.
0: I, I I'd have done it for ninety five. Uh, <laughs> Kruger said one search for Perch Fleet's fishing tackles led to more fascinating find on uh, Mendota, and twenty feet off the uh, Marshall Park, a twenty-two foot homemade motorboat carried five young men to their deaths in nineteen. 19- Ooh, that is pretty sad. Uh. Kruger said, searching the bottom with uh, Dave DeYo, his brother-in-law, in September 1998. and DeYo found the unique bubble-bowed boat in the bottom. The boat had a propeller in one end, a long shaft going to the engine, a fuel tank in the other. They contacted Donald Sanford to investigate to find. Sanford was working on a book that became One Fourth Lake, A Social History of Lake Mendota. After spending several days com- uh, combing Wisconsin State Journal's archives, Sanford found the article from August 19, 1929, describing the tragedy. A tragedy. A man named Barney Davidson had built and kept a boat at his cottage in Spring Harbor, in Mendota's southwestern corner. Davidson invited four visitors going to boat ride. ride in a rough, windy day. No one knows how the accident happened, but the wave apparently washed over the transom when the boat lost power or suddenly. Uh, slowed, the boat swamped, and all five men drowned. Cooker said the discovery wow. led divers to three of the four other sunken craft nearby.
2: Oh, that's odd. Yeah,
0: a lot you can find. Uh, a good article, uh, Waterton Daily Times, had that one in there, written by Kevin Wilson. Then Bonterra Mine, we've been we've been hearing more about them in a while. There was some times uh, where they were we weren't sure they were going to reopen. There was lawsuits going on. Yep. Uh, none of these are saying uh what happened. And we need to have somebody on. I think uh Dave Tanneman uh, knew some, some of the backstory and heard it. So some of these images are courtesy of West End diving, uh, Bonterra Mine. Uh tucked away in a small town, uh Bonterre Mine is home to the world's largest subterranean lake. It continually could be a high visit destination for tourists and like. Before the mine was developed in 1860, Native Americans discovered the Galena lead in the area so plentiful it could be found above ground. Galena could be turned into ammunition or shot, among other uses. Native Americans uncovered its value, but not until the French colonized the area to the true extent of the resources on earth. The mine was developed in 1860, spanning five levels, supplying a great deal of the lead used during the Spanish-American War and the Industrial Revolution, was an active mine until 1962 when the machinery had become outdated. Most of the lead had been extracted. It was not long after this that Douglas and Catherine uh, Georgian saw an opportunity to breathe new life in the old mine. Because the pumps had previously kept water at bay and been turned off, three of the five levels of the mine had been submerged by crystal clear water. Features lend to a singular opportunity for miners to offer both walking and boat tours as well as scuba diving and diving certifications. And they go in and talk about a, uh, a lot of detailed statistics, like uh, 15,000 scuba divers a year and anywhere from twenty to 30,000 tourists visit. Uh, Jacques Cousteau uh, had gone there, only planned on spending a half a day, and I think he was there for four or five. And you've been there, Mac, haven't you?
1: Yeah, many times back a long time ago. I haven't been there in over 20 years, though.
0: Yeah. Now that the kids are uh, out of the house, I need to put this in the calendar because this is a good uh, winter dive, you know, for us up here in Michigan. That's how we
1: we all yep we always used to go in February, uh, and this was way before they had the uh, they had a lighting system in there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the tour boats that was way before that, but it was. Uh, and if you and if you wore we're used to colder water, some people would want to do a dry suit in there. That's that's a drag. <laughs> You're uh-huh. gonna get hot. But uh wet too is fine, it's fifty something, fifty-eight, sixty degrees. And it is, it was really clear. It was it's a good dive, good diving. But back then you could get, you know, you could go and take your own scooter mm-hmm. and do scooter tours. And if it wasn't a busy day and you got a adventurous type uh leader, hmm you could go places that were not on the normal path, especially if you paid a little more Yeah, For <laughs> the divers.
0: It's a and beautiful fit, uh, photos in this article.
1: It's a nice place. I, I really enjoyed it, but I think we got to go to places that they don't go anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and then, uh, uh, there's a lot of, of dive shops that do tours I know Diver sync uh rich Shinowick's dive shop does it and uh he, he i think he's been on talking about it where you start at course one and you have to incrementally
2: go yep. up yep
0: so if you've you, know, you, you can't go there and start in course nine you got to do one then two then
1: three or tra- they don't call it course they call it trails trails. Yep. Yeah, did, everybody had to go through trail one first. And part of it made sense, though, because one of them was a, a tunnel that you had to go through the tunnel before you had access out. Some people got a little freaky. Uh Number two, a lot of people didn't like, but the lead guy had the light. The guy in the back had the light. All you guys in the middle, us, had to follow where they went
0: because mm-hmm.
1: you don't need six guys out there all with flashlights doing their own thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you usually don't get to have flashlights.
1: No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> you did not. Cause I wanted to control it. And the best way is the only people who got the lights are the, the diver instructors or the tourists yeah. Yeah. tour divers.
0: Yeah. It's, it's got to be on my list to go and, and figure out how to get down there. So maybe we can just, it's, it's got a it. I mean, that's kind of the trick to diving is you have to put it on your calendar. You have to decide that you, you want to do it, make plans, get some friends together.
1: Uh, they had a bread and breakfast uh, place down there when we went the last time. And we just took that place over. Yeah. I mean, we had good food, good places, and it was not rushed. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to dive, we you know, you dive two days on Saturday at least and two on Sunday to get, you know, make the most of your time. Yeah. But it it's nice to have been down there at least once. The the only problem I would I would do if I were them, they they've got a shaft that goes from the top down. I would put an elevator there for the gear. <laughs> oh, because I that that's they say sixty five steps. This seems a lot more than that when <laughs> you're getting old. A L- little more you're than all in your freaking Yep. And back then we had our weights and our tanks. Well, now they have tanks down there, so you don't got to worry about that. But as I get older, that that if they had an elevator, I'd pay extra just to use yeah. that for the gear. Well, see, I'd, I'd walk it, but that gear, man, Kick my butt carrying a scooter.
0: Yeah, yeah. See, see, I think we need to bring our own Sherpas. Can, can we do <laughs> that, that?
1: They actually did that at one time. They had a oh. scout troop.
0: Oh, there you go. And,
1: there's another story to that that we won't go into. That's why they don't do that no more. But, yeah, you could still do something different. Very nice. It's it's worth a trip. You really ought to go.
0: Well, another place, this one's a little bit more in our backyard, Hague Quarry has been listed yep. among the country's best. Uh, this is one of those articles I had found a few weeks ago. And... uh this is a, a detailing a part of that article. A uh, national publication recently revealed what the scuba diving community has known for quite some time. Hague Quarry is one of the best. USA Today newspaper named Hague Quarry one of the best spots in a story on April 19th on 10 great places to go scuba diving right here in the U.S., even in the Midwest. The quarry at uh, 2738 East, 2000 North Road in Kankakee, just east to Bradley, is listed as coral reef. State Park in Key is listed with Reef State Park in Key Largo, Florida. Casino Point in Catalina Island, California. Black Rock Point, Maui, Hawaii. And Puget Sound in Seattle. I was shocked, said Tina Haig, owner of the business. A friend of mine called me and said, you're not going to believe this, but you're listed among the 10 best spots in the USA to scuba dive. I thought you got to be kidding. So I looked up the article and sure enough, we were in there. And we were in there with Hawaii, really in the middle of middle of cornfields. When people particularly from Chicago come in, they just remark how peaceful it is out here. No hustle or bustle. Hey, quarry has been that peaceful spot for 30 years. When Tina and her husband, Jim opened the business in 1991, Jim purchased a former limestone quarry several years before it was up for auction. And my husband at the time had three uh, businesses and he had a spot to dump all the trees he had removed. He said the stone company had pumps over at the South end and he decided to unplug the pumps. And it filled up naturally. He brought in uh, a 78, which was decided to use for our four family for recreational purposes. The friend suggested an open up a scuba diving business. Haig did her own marketing, contacting scuba diver shops to offer her facility for divers to use, to explore, and the rest is history. It's now word of mouth, and it's grown tremendously. Haig Quarry has grown to having a full dive shop, use of its facilities, to having uh, dozens. We opened it up with one a dive store using the facility strictly since we don't know what we were doing. And then the next year it worked out for a couple years when we decided to open it up to other dive stores. Approximately we have about 60 different dive stores and independent instructors that use the facility for training. And then we have recreational divers that just come in for the fun of it. They come from seven different States. Most divers from the greater Chicago area from Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Missouri from May through September. Hey, Quarry is open six days a week from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., Friday and Saturday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Sunday, and it's closed on Tuesday. And by the way, they're not paying a spot. <laughs> it does feel like an ad. Uh, <laughs> entry fee for certified divers is $25 per day, $10 for nine divers. Aquarius has everything you need to scuba dive, rental equipment, items, complete package, uh, $80 per day or $135 for two. And then they go into some scuba classes and other things. But uh have you dove there, Mac?
1: No, I have not. I have not been to it. Oh, wow. I know several people who have.
0: Yeah. Well uh I went there with uh Kurt and Bob. We did a dive. I think it was in the fall one year. Unfortunately there was a tragedy there that weekend, but uh not with our team, uh, fortunately, but uh, it was a it was a nice nice dive spot. I, there was being in the fall, leaves had started to fall in, so you kind of had some tannic going on there, little tea staining near the edges. Uh, visibility was kind of off and on. Some spots you only had a couple feet. Uh, I think it was get, starting to get cold, so algae was dying a little bit, so you had to particulate in the water. Um, they had we, we didn't do the whole lake, but there was a a boat, you know, kind of like a little cruiser uh, that was out there that uh we went on and they, they had like a little trail where you could go between items but it's it's certainly a nice spot. I recommend it if you're in the Chicago area. Uh and you're not gonna go out in the Lake Michigan. Uh Hate Quarry is a good spot to go.
1: And it's not real deep. I think fifty five, sixty feet is the depth. Yeah it can get cold, meaning mm-hmm. like in April this time year even. The yeah. surface maybe fifty seven, fifty eight. Get down there at fifty feet, and it's thirty-eight degrees. Yeah. It gets chilly yeah. real yeah. quick.
0: Because uh, we've got France Park, which is in Indiana, and that one doesn't get yep. any below or any. I don't think it's deeper than thirty feet at the deepest spot. Uh, so this this one does do a little bit deeper. It's it's a it's a nice spot. Uh, you know where we're at, you can either do Hague Quarry, France Park. Uh, you can go to the east side of the state, or and down in Ohio, and then you got Gilboa, and then uh, you've also got White Star. So some some nice quarry diving. That's good. That's good, uh, Midwest diving. If you don't like to do wreck diving in the mm-hmm. Great Lakes, and and there's sometimes blowout spots. If you want to get a dive in that weekend, and the, the big lake's not behaving. Then you can come into these and get some some nice dives in. Yeah. Oh, here they're saying the quarry encompasses 13 acres, the deepest depth of 80 feet. So they must have like a hole out there. A 33 foot cabin cruiser and a 1962 fire truck. I remember if I saw the fire truck, uh, some rock crushers, drills, conveyor belt, which is mining equipment that's probably left over from operational.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, a lot of the ones we used to dive years ago. Salisbury Quarry was a big one for U of M, mm-hmm. and I dove out there a lot. And then when I lived uh, <laughs> on that side over in Monroe and towards Detroit, they had a lot of quarries that they took rock and sand and stuff out when they were do, doing the bypasses, and interstates, mm-hmm. and we dive those because anything near the, a uh, train track and or dirt road, you would always, always, always find cars in it. And people then, of course, would bring their dump out there. They're, they're, you'd find metal, you'd find 50-gallon drums of something. Mm-hmm. And we always knew that when you go to an area like that or a quarry, and you got weeds and fish on one side, and you go to the other, and it's like nothing, there's a reason for that. (laughs) And you don't want (laughs) to play with the drums. You don't want to – I mean, they had coils of – you know the uh, kind of rebar you put in concrete? Yeah. That wide stretch? Uh, That comes in huge rolls. Well, one of the quarters, we found many rolls of that. And it's like, you know, if the little catch that lets that uncoil – were to erode and you hit it wrong will that thing go chink because if it did you'd be royally screwed
0: you'd hope that it would have crowded enough that there was no string strength left in it but i don't want to be the one to find it
1: yeah and these were not coated this was a long time ago this Uh is 70s and early 80s but uh yeah you'd know where not to dive I mean, because some of them still had the, the, the little carts they'd have with a little rail system. Yep. And back then, nobody thought about bringing them up, preserving them. It'd be cool, though. Would be.
0: Well, you, you want to swim with the sharks uh, voluntarily? <laughs> <laughs> Maritime Aquarium looking for volunteer scuba divers. Uh, the aquarium in Norwalk is looking for experienced scuba divers to join a volunteer team. Volunteers will help make public education presentations multiple times a week inside a 110,000-gallon shark tank, which is home to its 7- to 9-foot sharks. To be eligible for the aquarium dive team, volunteers must be at least 18 years old, have open water certification or equivalent experience, log at least 25 open water dives, divers alert network DAN insurance, current first aid and CPR certifications signed physicians, clearance to dive the ability to pass swim and scuba assessment offered off site at Velo CT and Norwalk in June. Volunteers will be asked to commit to at least 12 four hour shifts per year. Weekends and weekday shifts are available. Scuba presentations had been put on hold due to the pandemic, but the aquarium wants dive team ready when they bring the program back. So, I'm, that's not a big requirement. You know, 25 open water dives, that's not too hard for uh, somebody to get. Yeah, it's very doable. If you were so inclined and wanted to do that, uh, you could do that in, in a few months. And if you are interested in that, now this just happens to be at this uh, this is Connecticut area, you can... You know, other aquariums, just about them, like here in the Midwest, we got Shed's Aquarium in Chicago. Uh, I know there's some uh, large municipal aquariums uh, in Indiana and Kentucky. Uh, They're all looking for divers. So if you're interested in this, contact that aquarium, uh, ask to know what their diving volunteer program is like. And hey, some nice clear water there, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was going to say that many, many years ago, uh, one of the uh, individuals who worked at Wolf's Dive Shop Mm -hmm. uh, worked in the aquarium like this. And he says the experience is awesome because you learn so much about fish. Yeah. Um, He said if you get a chance to do it, but he said you've got to put, you know, you've got to give them a year's worth of effort.
0: Yeah, cause i I do think that they require you use their gear, so you have to put in enough time for them to kind of recoup their investment in the and what gear they're gonna get or what what gear you're gonna use mm-hmm. um, and I didn't think that twelve four hour shifts was that much, so you figure i mean that's that's one half day a month you're gonna do, yeah maybe maybe someday you know, I'm, okay.
1: Well, it takes a lot of work to, you know, just clean off those screens and the windows. Yeah. Or, you know, the partitions are just to wash those down. A lot of work.
0: Well, see, may, maybe they would let me in with my wetsuit. Mine, mine's already fine.
1: Yeah, you, you, you'd be fine in that. Yeah. The sharks and stuff would yes. go, wow, that's not rubber ice smell that's flesh. Yeah. <laughs> go get them
0: why we had a full docket there oh yeah so that does it for scuba in the news wow and uh still have people still have five five people in the chat room hanging out so i think that's pretty good kind of a record since we've done the streaming <laughs> that doesn't include uh our discord uh chat <clears throat> members which i have completely mm-hmm. ignored discord I need to pop in over there see if anybody's uh, doing anything. Oh yeah, they do. They're 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 doing well. So thank you, Derek. And he's been pasting in the the show notes. And then yeah, some of the discussions in there are better than what we've got here. But they can just do the nice sidebars. Yeah, they they got all that uh, in. Uh... Well, let's see, Mac. Do you have a dive safety story for this week?
1: Well, I have one, but it's a little long. Hmm. I don't know. Well, we've been talking about the you know experience of divers. So this is called experience and risk. It's also out of Dan. And it's a couple of years old. But it's still, you know, we always talk about training and experience. So we'll talk about experience and risk. Although it's clear the diving experience reduces divers risk of injury. Experience is an imprecise term that brings up different ideas in different people at different times. Now, in contemplating how experience reduces risk, you need to consider the following items. Training provides experience. Practice provides experience. Diving itself provides experience. But not all experience is helpful. And if some factors are present, experience can increase the risk. And people are going to say, well, say what? What do you mean by that? Well, training provides experience. As much as we like to say there is no substitute for experience, there actually is a substitute. It's called training. And it's a good thing. You wouldn't want to learn through experience that you shouldn't hold your breath while scuba diving. And if you did, you wouldn't do it more than once, not if you were at depth. Training lets us benefit from the sometime painful and deadly experience of others and that's why it's the first step in becoming and growing as a diver but we must be learning to learn from others experience said human beings who are the most unique in having the ability to learn from the experience of others are also remarkable for their apparent disinclination to do so i think we've seen that now practice provides experience during training and one hopes outside of training diverse practice skills during emergency and including emergency procedures. This practice gives us experience in a controlled environment, controlled circumstance, that we can mess up and learn from our mistakes. And then we do it and try again until we succeed. And we don't get hurt. We actually don't get hurt. Now, fortunately, the brain does not readily differentiate between simulated circumstances and reality. Therefore, if you're trained, When faced with the real things, people do as they're trained and practiced. And the more realistic and varied the practice, the better the response. This outcome assumes that you actually train and practice. And I think from our last pool party, we realized there's a lot of people who haven't practiced some of the skills they had in basic training. Dolphin Don is for one. Now, there's a... uh, Instructor and rebreather designer uh, Kevin Gurr once said, practice a skill on every dive. By that, he meant an emergency skill. Following his advice is easy and takes little time. Divers can also gain experience by simulating then the scope of their training and managing realistic emergencies in confined water. Another instructor and explorer, Phil Short, said, I do it when I don't have to. So I can when I do, and that does make a lot of sense. Diving provides experience. Well, absolutely. Diving provides experience. It's hard to get through instruction. This is what we really mean when we say there's no substitute for experience. By going diving, we subconsciously learn normal patterns, how things are supposed to be, what we're supposed to do in different circumstances and in different underwater environments. When something violates our self-conscious expectations, we go on alert, sometime acting and reacting intuitively, even before the problem occurs. Now, numerous examples of this intuition in different endeavors. Uh, One example they documented was, involved an experienced firefighter. He led a crew into a house to fight what seemed to be a routine kitchen fire. They sprayed the fire, but almost immediately it roared back to life. Uneasy, the commander ordered his crew out. Moments later, the floor collapsed as a huge undetected fire in the basement engulfed the structure. Everybody would have died if they'd have stayed in the house a moment longer. Now, right after the close call, those involved often say they didn't know how they knew something was wrong, they just did. Deeper analysis commonly finds uh, multiple subtle pattern deviations that even trained people may not have noticed consciously, but their subconscious apparently did. The lead firefighter saw and said he saw no threat, but somehow knew something was terribly wrong. Examination later found that besides the fire roaring back to life, the room was much hotter than it should have been. And the men reported it was unusually quiet. The hidden fire was muffled in the basement. And unconsciously, these patterns, these mismatches, warn the commander. So experience will keep us out of trouble if we allow it to. In other words, if something doesn't feel right when we're diving, don't wait to find out why. Trust your intuition and act accordingly. Now, we said a moment ago, not all experience is helpful. It's not just the quality, but also the quality or quantity. It's also the quality of the experience that counts. Now, we need enough repetitive experience to learn patterns, but beyond a certain point, more doesn't benefit us. Now, consider two divers, one with a 1,000 dives, one with 200 dives. The first is an open water diver who has made all 1,000 dives on about a dozen shallow tropical coral reefs, and all from a boat in a wet suit wearing an aluminum 80-cylinder. Now, the second diver has about 50 dives on similar reefs, 40 dives in kelp, 20 dives in cold water reservoir, 15 dives in the river, 20 dives in the Atlantic on wrecks, 20 and 25, or uh, 25 in Florida Springs, and the rest inland quarries and off the Florida Gulf Coast. Now, the second diver is certified as an advanced open water diver, cavern diver, rebreather diver, dry suit diver, and as a dive from boats and shore, including through the surf. Which diver has the most useful experience that will help reduce his risk, especially when visiting a new environment for the first time? Sounds to me like that guy with 200. It's like, did you do the diet, the same dive a thousand times or did you do 200 different dives? Right. And which one did you going to learn from?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, experience can increase your risk because cautious of normalization of deviance, which can be summed up as Getting used to not following your training because nothing bad happened. And I think we can see that sometime when we maybe get out into the river and we suck our tanks a little dry because nothing bad happens out in the river. Will we do that because it's a norm for us when we do the wreck diving, when we do a deep dive? Hopefully not. Now, if somebody violates a safe diving practice, exceeds training limits, omits um, standard gear, skips the checklist, and nothing goes wrong, there's a greater likelihood the person will violate these same practices again. Experience makes this worse because repetition without negative consequences makes safe practices, they seem unnecessary, until the deviation becomes a new normal. And that's where researchers cite normalization of deviancy as a primary factors and loss of the Challenger, and the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Now, culture can magnify normalization by failing to correct the deviation or even encouraging it. Oh, you had to do that in training, but nobody really does that here. That should be something that you're wondering about. Why wouldn't I want to do that? So it's a normalization normalization of deviance. It's particularly common in endeavors such as scuba diving, which didn't have redundant safety practices to account for unintended or random human error. Nothing goes wrong because a redundancy accounts for the deviation. So one day, the redundant factor is accidentally omitted too, like your bailout tank or checking your bailout regulator. If you find yourself skipping things you learn to do in training, such as pre dive safety checks, exceeding limits, such as diving deeper than you were trained, or just for a moment, I'm going to enter that overhead environment. Or I'm just going to look into that, that, that ship just a little bit. You know. Or admitting gear you're trained to always have, such as surface signaling devices. You're then exhibiting normalization of deviance. If you and your buddies reinforce these behaviors, you're in a microculture that is normalizing deviation. Because experience can reinforce normalization of deviance, experience is only a cure if something bad happens due to the deviation. And even then, some divers go right back to the unsafe practice. The cure and prevention are self discipline to follow your training honestly and about the safety of your diving behaviors. Refuse to listen to others, sometime more experienced, who encourage deviations.
2: And from that little verbalization, do you find yourself in any of those situations?
0: I hope I don't, but it's it's hard not to. Um, you know, if you if you let that little thing go, like sometimes I've got like a, a leak on the inflator, and you're like, ah, I'm, it's not that much,
1: right? Because we're in the river, we can do that. Mm-hmm. But if you had that on. The ann Arbor Five.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Ain't the same.
0: No. Yeah.
1: And how often will we justify one and not the other? And does that follow us into a you know, making a mistake?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Something can happen. Well, thank you for that. Uh, something always to learn from each of those. yeah
0: so he, yeah you're back so now uh say hello
1: hello i'm back there you Powered go Glitch. yeah just, poof, <laughs> i'm gone at least like i said i i finished the article
0: yeah you you did and i was just talking and uh and trying to fill some space so as as it's going to happen we'll have a little bit of editing going on um uh, but I'd like to thank everybody who's listening to the program. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, if you're enjoying the program um, and you do have, you're in that situation where you have a little bit extra funds and you're getting some value, uh, head on over to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, ignore how old the posts are because I do need to, now that we've got this figured uh, fixed, get some more current posts and talk about it. But here on the right, you'll see this Patreon link. Oh, I'm talking about it, and you can't even see it. So here we go. Ah, i got to remember to to edit that. So you you go to visit the website. we got Patreon link here on the side. And then we've got a variety of plans. And you can even enter in your own dollar amount. You don't have to stick to one of these. Um, We're currently not doing anything special other than if you contribute $3 or more, you get early access to our show notes which is kind of like a curated news uh, related to scuba diving. So you get those in advance and you can follow along. Uh, and you also will hear about things we're doing. We have some behind the scenes uh, activities that we'll probably put in there now that we're doing video we and do some of that. So thank you once again for supporting the program. Uh, Mac, do you have anything that you would like to plug before we? Uh,
1: nothing at this time. Anybody would like to get out there? I'd like to hit the river this Saturday yep. in Niles. If we have some people there, maybe high noonish. Yeah, it's hard to zip up a bag of zipper on the dry suit with uh, somebody being there, and I don't like to use the spectators. They may not always get yeah. it totally shut.
0: Well, I, if that, that's one way you have to replace the zippers in your dry suit uh, more frequently, is have people who don't know how to zip a suit try that for you. Or maybe even better, don't zip it completely. <laughs> a little, yeah. a little bit uh, dangling out there at the end. Oh, did I lose you, Mick?
1: No, I'm oh, okay. sitting down here waiting oh, I'm for just, the for the jokes.
0: Wait, waiting. So I, I, I do have, as I've been doing lately, I have a, I have a series of them. Uh, maybe only we'll try and keep it to just a couple. People haven't complained, so it either means nobody's listening. And we know we got at least two listeners, um, and graduation going on. My daughter recently graduated. Um, so I've thought maybe that might be a nice topic for the uh, jokes for this week. So I was surprised when a friend said he'll work at KFC right after graduation. Out of curiosity, I asked him why all he said, well, it's on my bucket list.
2: Uh,
0: Yeah, so we'll do another one here. When future children ask me about my high school graduation and how I answer, the graduation was great, but the reception was terrible. I don't even know if the kids are even going to get that one. Uh Johnny hands in his graduation test. The test was so bad, the only thing his professor could write in it was idiot. He handed it to Johnny. Johnny looked at the test and asked the professor, can you please grade my test? You only signed it.
2: That's going to help him a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, okay. I, maybe this is the one that to wrap us out. When I graduate from high school, I was so poor I couldn't even afford college, so my parents sent me to a dog training school. I learned a lot when I was there, sit, stay, roll over. I haven't quite got the fetching part down. They say I'm a little rough around the edges.
1: Where are our contributors at? We need some help here.
0: <laughs> okay, well, here's the last one. Uh, my, my son just graduated from college. My friends asked me what he majored in. I told him he study to be an astronaut. He took up space.
1: Oh. As long as you don't got to go into details. Yes.
0: <laughs> so on that note, go out there and get wet.
1: And stay safe.
2: I was going to say, don't do that normalization of deviance. Yeah. <laughs>